So therefore, be proud to be a decent American rather than be just a wanker whipping up fear. Because you're supposed to tackle people, you're supposed to hit people at pace and hit them hard as part of the game. It's not chess we're playing. I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. The double champ does what the f- he wants. Hello everybody and a happy new year to you. This is What's the Story Podcast. My name is Danny Murray. My hello. Name, my name is Graham Merrigan. I was going to say hello Graham Merrigan, Merrigan, but you just jumped in. I love it. Hello. How are you? Tremendous. Danny Danjo Murray. Danny Danjo Murray indeed. We're coming to you from the fabulous and famous Fitzpatrick Castle Hotel in beautiful, beautiful Cloyne. Check out FitzpatrickCastle.com. Now. I can't believe... This interview with our guest just came about on Twitter. Amazing. Like, we, yeah. we basically, we tweeted Wayne McCullough, the legend, the, the incredible Olympic silver medalist, Commonwealth gold, uh, amateur world champion, professional world champion. WBC champion of the world. WBC champion of the world. The only man from Ireland. Only man from Ireland, indeed. And um, it's all through Twitter, just... And he was an absolute gent, and um, his lovely, lovely wife Cheryl as well, who uh, liaised with us to, to get us set up in the end. And amazing, amazing, and uh, yeah, true gent. Love talking to him. Will we go straight to it? But yeah, this is it. We're like, this is we're still on Christmas holidays. Um, <laughs> it, uh, look, peeling back the curtain, right? It's currently five to eleven. On Wednesday, the 21st of December, that's when this was recorded. <laughs> what are you telling them for? Ah, look, come on, it's Christmas. No, it's not. Not when I listen to this. No, it's not. not. <laughs> Hope you had a good Christmas, good New Year. This yeah. is Wayne McCullough. Wayne McCullough. We've been joined now by the legend that is Wayne McCullough, the pocket rocket himself. Uh, Wayne, <laughs> well, thanks for me for your time. When you call me legend, it seems like I'm old or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not saying you're past it. No, <laughs> just, I know that. We're just no, saying. No, 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 no. Um, I've been called a legend for about 15, 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you like it, Wayne? Yeah, it's fine. You know, when when people call you a legend, it means you've did something in the the sport that you love. You know what I mean? You've did your country proud, and and um, that's why legend to me is, it doesn't make me feel I'm old, but it just makes me feel like people appreciate you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that that's, that's how they should. I was gonna say that's something that we're definitely gonna bring up the appreciation um, of fans towards you, but. Um, you're based out in Las Vegas anyway, Wayne. What are you up to these days? Well, I'm actually I'm in, I'm in California living at the minute, but I'm, I'm back. I'm actually in Vegas now at my home. I'm back and forward. We, I, me and my friend have two gyms here in Vegas, but I'm in California because my daughter's in, in college until next year. Oh, okay. And so I'm working. I work in a gym down there, like just like personal training. And I train a few amateur fighters and, and one professional fighter as well. So I'm trying to be. I'm trying to get a stable of fighters, of course. Yeah. Um, and that's my goal. I want to be. I want to pass on what I was taught by Betty Fudge. And um, but I say I train. I train celebrities and stuff like that. Personal train. They all love to punch things, and and I get a kick out of it too. You know, teach them how to fight for real. <laughs> so can, it's it's fun. Can you name names in terms of the celebrities? Well, not to say, but my good friend and and we're. Hoping to get a gym together is me and Freddie Prince Jr. So, oh wow, yeah, Freddie Prince, yeah, and um, and we're we're in, we're keeping it quiet, of course. Me and him, and we're and we've got a good friend who's got he's a money man, 
and um, we're going to get together and, and we're we're in the process. And is it? Freddie's a big boxing fan. He, he watched me. He said he used to watch me on USA Tuesday Night Fights back in the '90s. So it was it's actually cool that he actually watched me. Yeah. And, um, and of course, we we all the girls watched him, of course, and then all the <laughs> all, all all the guys watched his wife. <laughs> <laughs> Sir Michelle, so no, I train. I actually train his little kid too. He's four years old, and he's his name is Rocky. So he's 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 well named for a boxer. Well, well. Say, yeah. <laughs> but he loves. No, Freddie's a good guy. He loves boxing. He respects people, and and I consider. I don't I consider my friend. I really do because we hang out together. Brilliant. And um, so you guys are hoping to get get your own kind of gym, own stable, and that. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's just hard. It's it's hard because, you know, I. I I thought a lot of the Irish fighters would have came to me because from the Olympics, you know, Kitty Taylor, of course, I know she's with, with her, her stable and, and you got Paddy Barnes and, and Conlon who all turned pro. And I told them, I told, I, I've said this over and over. I told them four years ago to go pro when they got their medals. Yeah. And they're like, no, we'll wait around. And I'm like, okay. But then of course, all the controversy happened and people lose. And, you know, the second time around Olympics, you might get, a, you might get gold, you may get nothing. Mm. And um, I know they've all got, decent contracts but they're a little bit older now you know what i mean yeah a little bit less time to kind of to, to make the stamp so to speak but they're still they're still you know still got time no kitty's 30 but she's in the women's box and there's not that many women fighters so it's she's not old she's still young pretty pretty much oh and you just when you say you you wanted to reach out to to our olympians from the last four years to to, to join your stable is that it well i've always reached out to people i just don't i'm not going to force anybody to to come to me, I, I just talked to Jason Quigley the other day. Actually, he's on. His, I think he's gone home this week. I was supposed to go to his fight last week, but I had to come to Vegas for for family business at the last minute. So, um, but I talked to him. We have coffee together. He lives around the corner from me in in, in California, and you know we always talk about working together. But I, I approached him. I approached Jason Quigley when he fought in the World Series for the American team in Hollywood, way before he won his his, his world medal. Yeah. And I, I told him then about I'd love to work with him when he ever considered turn pro. And, and at that stage, he was talking about Olympics and stuff like that. But then he, he went on to win the world the world medal. So now I've always been to talk to people. I I was you know I've talked to Paddy Barnes on Twitter and and Conlon and 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 everybody else. But I say I'm not going to force people to come. The offer was all there, and and I think people forget that I was training Betty Fudge. Yeah. You know, I'm the last. I'm the last fighter to be trained Betty Fudge, and the last fighter to be become world champion through his his um his his tutorage. And Freddie Roach, of course, was a was Eddie Fudge protege, and um I'm the last one from Eddie Fudge. After me, there's nobody else. Do you- so I teach a lot of that that aspect of boxing, of defense, slipping, block and rolling, yeah. foot, staying relaxed and movement. So I, I have a lot. I, I know I have a lot to give, but it's just getting the right people. To come to me, you know what I mean? It's just I'm not going to force people, but I would love a dream. My dream, but I'd love to have a group of Irish, Irish fighters, of course, men and women. I would love that, of course. But if they decide to go to somebody else, like it's it's their choice. Do Do you think, in a way, kind of you set the the blueprint almost? Obviously, the successful Olympics, silver medal Olympics, <laughs> um, world champion amateur. Then you you moved obviously to professional scene, became the world champion, as you said. See, so you've got kind of that 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 blueprint there of kind of you know, here's how you you be a successful amateur and move into the professional ranks, and become the best in the world as a professional. Also, 
So, you know, laying that blueprint down for them is obviously a huge factor in kind of the, the lore. Is, is it a little bit off-putting maybe that, that they haven't took you up on that offer? Or No, I think, I think the blueprint, I, I'm not, I would say yes. I would like not be in boastful, but I would say yes, I did set a blueprint because, you know, me and Michael Carruth in 92, you know, my, Michael, he knows me, you know, we got, I was the best men's Olympics we ever had. Still, still was before we had all the funding for, for, you know, you're getting paid 50 grand a year, whatever we got, we were getting nothing. Yeah. And me and Michael, we, with Nicholas Cruz Hernandez and, and Michael's dad, Austin, and, 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 and Nicholas Cruz for me was the best coach we ever had over there. And, and I, I, I just, I can't get my head why they get rid of him. But I, I'm still in touch with Nicholas. But with me and Michael, we were, you know, we were, we were, working and, and trying to fight at the same time and we and we reduced the medals and and of course everybody knew me then i was so i was 15 16 years old i used to train in barney Eastwood's gym in belfast he was you know he was good enough to let me train there for free my brother was a pro and i went in there and sparred with dave mccauley paul hagginson you know fidel bassa who fought mccauley all them guys i sparred as a 15 16 year old and and we all know back then they didn't allow amateurs to, to mix with pros but mm. I just thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to train with my brother at the gym, so really can't do anything about it. <laughs> and I just thought, um, I loved, I wanted to be a pro at 15 years old, but I knew I had to get some sort of, some sort of medal to guarantee, you know, a good contract. But otherwise, you're fighting. We all know the pro ranks. You can fight. There's some. There's a Mexican can fight on a card, on a Mayweather card who's making 100 million and fight for a thousand dollars. So yeah. it's not about the money, but you got to secure your future, of course. But so I knew I got the medal was my goal. I got the medal in '92, and then, of course, the the Olympic Council and the Irish Board were offering me money to stay to stay um, amateur, and I said no. I, I said I'm going pro. I'm done with the amateur business. I'm I'm going pro. I want to be a professional. I want to be WBC champion. And I knew at 15 years old I wanted to be. I didn't want to be an IBF, WBO, or WBA. I wanted to be the WBC champion. Yeah. And I'm not disrespecting any other belts, but I wanted the belt that Muhammad Ali had, you know, and even Floyd Mayweather has that belt. That's a belt that I wanted, the green and gold belt. And that was my goal, and I went for it, and I did it. And when I left to go to, to come to America, of course, some of the media was like, I'll never make it over here. I'm leaving back my my home behind. I was a homebird of the Irish team. You asked anybody in the Olympic team with me, and I was a homebird. I didn't want to leave, but... When somebody says you're going to be training Betty Fudge, who was 82 years old and he was training Riddick Bowe, who was the heavyweight champion of the world, yeah, how can you how can you turn that down? It's like what? It's like a fourth division t- football team going to the first division. Somebody offered him, yeah, and turn it down. I, I I was like Eddie Fudge was like wasn't going to train anybody else. He was 82. As I say Riddick Bowe was in camp, heavyweight champ. Mike McCallum, three-time world champion, and then we signed a Mont- Montel Griffin, who was who, who was an Olympian for the American team. Went on to beat Roy Jung to one fight. He was on our team as well. So the stable we have is unbelievable. And for me, if I'd have turned that down, I would have looked like a fool. And, and um, it was quite that's the reason why. But sorry, that's the reason why I came to Vegas. And the rest is all history. <laughs> that, that's what I was just going to say, actually. About um, it was just after um, Barcelona, where a year later you you, you went to Vegas and, and hooked up Eddie Fudge. I was just wondering, you know, the, the, you were in Seoul as well. So, was there? What were the differences, say, um, between the four years of? Because we know that the 
um, every time that the, our boxers kind of go to Olympics, it gets better and better and better. But what were the differences between yeah. 88 and 92? The difference was I couldn't grow hair on my chin. I was 16 turning 17, and the Olympics came around, I was turning 18. That year was a great year for me, thank God. It was you know, that year I won the. Not being boastful, but I won the I won the um I won the Irish Irish youth, Irish under eighteens. I won the Irish juniors the same year, then I turned senior, won the Irish seniors. All within like nine months I won four Irish championships from youth to junior to the to, to senior. And then I fought PJ O'Halloran, who's who's a great guy. He was like he was a man and I was like seventeen. And I, I fought him. They put me in against him twice. And um, back then there was no qualifying. You had to, you won the nationals and then you picked the team because there was no like twenty twenty countries from Russia. And um, so I got they weren't going to send me. I actually that year was a great year because I in twelve that's my best record. I had twelve fights in a row, all knockouts. And I was I fought at one hundred and five or life flyweight, seven and a half stone, forty eight kilos, and I knocked it at twelve guys in a row at international level. I, I fought I fought a Cuban. Um, two fights before the Olympics, I stopped him in the stadium, and then the, my, my last fight before the Olympics was against Turgetti, and I stopped him in the first round. Ireland, Ireland versus Canada up in up in Derry, and that was my last fight before for four Seoul, and they they still weren't going to send me to the Olympics, so I was like, you know what, if you don't send me, I'm going pro. I'm 17, I'll just go pro. So why why are they not going to send you? I don't know because I had the best. I had won four national championships in one year from youth to, to senior. I had 12 fights in a row, all, all by stoppage wins. And I'm only 100, and, I'm, I'm seven and a half stone, so I'm knocking people out, which is good. And um, and they, as I say, international level, a Scottish guy, the Cuban guy, and, and a Turgetti international level, I stopped all three guys in a row within inside of two months. And then I say I had all my, I stopped the, the Irish senior champion, a youth champion, junior champion, under 18 champion, I stopped all them guys. So, why wouldn't they send me? But we all know the politics of amateur boxing, and and I was just thinking, well, you know what? No, I just said my the minute my next Olympics, I was 22 then, and, and after they they decided to send me at the last minute, I remember the an idiot they sent me at the last minute. It wasn't going to go, but then I got to carry the flag, which is another honor to do that inside walking through this Olympic stadium, probably in front of two billion people around the world. And that was an honor to do that too. So, yeah. But say the next Olympics, I was 22. I wanted to fast forward things and become world champion within within two or three years, which I did. And do you think the the experience from Seoul '88 in um, the build up and almost having to fight to get there, and then you, you get there and ultimately you, you don't medal at it, but you're only a teenager. So obviously that gives you kind of this wealth of experience. Was that something that just completely spurred you on? Did it knock your confidence at all at the time? No, because I say when I went to Olympics '88, I was I'd fought international a few times, and my first my first international competition as a senior was actually going to Seoul, Korea. So that was I never left the country really. That was it. That was my first like trip, and um, the Olympics back then. I say there was no qualifying, so when you got there, it was open competition. Yeah, where. Since '92, they broke it down to 32 people at each weight class. So, to break it, so that means you have 32. You're going to have five fights for gold. But then you had, I think my weight class it was like 77 fighters. So when you got there, it was like you could have fought six or seven times. 
And I got a ban in the first round, and then I fought a guy from Uganda. Second round, I beat him. And then my third fight, which is the final 16, which wasn't too bad as a, a teenager. I lost to Scotty Olsen in a, in a good fight. I won the last round. He won the first two, and he, he hurt me because he was a strong, strong guy who was a lot of experience. And then he lost in the quarterfinals to the legend Michael Carbajal, who went on to become a, a, a world professional champion and who won the silver medal that year. So one, I was one fight away from fighting a future like Hall of Famer, world champion as well, which is, I say, getting the last 16 as a teenager back then when it was open competition, you know, you could have you could have had up to 100 people in your weight class, which was, I thought was a good was a good, ex- like good experience, and and I was thinking, wow, this is just set me up for, like, for my future in boxing because I know how hard it is to to win an Olympic medal. Yeah. And and I was good at the Olympics, but I was a kid. I say I was a young kid who didn't have his physical strength, although I was knocking people out, but. Because I remember even the Ugandan, I fought the Ugandan. I dropped him with the left hook, and he got back up again. But, but apart from that, you know, the experience I got from the likes of Scotty Olson and guys like that who had traveled the world. He Scotty Olson had won Commonwealth gold and fought in world championships and and was a big puncher. And um, so the experience I got from them guys alone was just priceless. What? And just... that's why I wanted to go to the Olympics so badly. You know what I mean? Yeah, and speaking of Commonwealth gold, you, you also um, won Commonwealth gold as well, but kind of in one of those almost sort of poll quiz like questions, um, the <laughs> the anthem situation uh, on the podium was it set up or not? Was it set up? <laughs> <laughs> uh, certainly, the announcer used it to, to get a moment of glory as well. What was yeah, what, no, what was that all like for you? Yeah, going to the Commonwealth Games in 1990, it was, I say I was young, I was 19. And we hadn't medaled in the Commonwealth Games since 78. We got two medals, Ian McGuigan and, and, and another guy, I forget the guy's name, got medals in 78. And um, cause back then, the British Commonwealth was like, she like three quarters of the world. Yeah. You know, when you went out there, it was like the Olympics. You could, you could have you could have fought four or five times, six times for a medal. And, and, and nowadays, it's the Commonwealth Games is like a, it's like a, a regular just a competition like a three-day competition or something i mean so that is not not this, i'm not disrespecting anybody's medals but if anybody who wins a medal they know back then the commonwealth was a was three-quarters of the world britain owned most of the world back then so most of the countries took part but as they go in there i fought three i fought three men three guys from from africa and they were all like 23 24 25 years old i was 19 and i remember when i won the medal i got a picture I'm standing with a gold medal and the bronze and silver guys beside me, and they look like, 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 like bodybuilders compared to what I look like. <laughs> and, uh, but I beat these guys. I beat these guys, and I beat three of these guys because I was a young guy who who could box a little bit, had a good jab and move, movement. And 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 I say Nicholas Nicholas Cruz Hernandez trained us for that, but he didn't. He wasn't in the corner. You know, Mickey Hawkins was in the corner, with, and um, we had fun. It was a great tournament, in New Zealand. You know. I got the gold unexpectedly. I didn't think it was. I I wanted the medal, but I didn't think I was going to get gold. But I did, and um, and you know, then the, the anthem's ready to play, and I'm standing there and thinking, what's going on here? And then all of a sudden, a guy starts singing. A guy called Bob Gibson, 
And um, Bob Gitson was from Belfast originally. He lived over there for like 20, 30 years or something. No way. And then anyways, the whole the, the, the whole the whole arena started singing Danny Boyle. Like, wow, it's like. So of course I'm standing on the rostrum, a little bit of maybe a few tears in my eye, and um, and the the whole arena just started singing. It was like you couldn't, as an Irish man, you couldn't like. You couldn't ask for anything more of the whole arena. It's like sitting in a, not that I'm a drinker, but if you sit in a pub and the Saturday night, we start singing, doing a sing song. <laughs> yeah. the, the whole, you imagine the whole arena starts singing Danny Boy. It, it but I but I realized the whole, like New Zealand is full of, like full of Irish people. I didn't realize it was until I got there. And, and then when I won that medal, they wanted actually me to, to move there and, and become a New Zealand citizen and fight for them in the Olympics in 92. And I'm like, hmm, I, I actually... Thought about it for a second, and then I thought, no. And there was a lot of pretty girls over there, but my wife—I didn't meet my <laughs> wife then. I met, I met, I met. She seen me on TV when I was out there, so I hadn't met her at the time. And the, I say the New Zealand girls are, are pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, and um, I had a great experience over there. I would love to go back someday. Just to, it was a great experience. And Bob Gibson, the guy who sang, we he met up. We met up together a few years later. Few years later in Belfast, and we did like a whole re rerun of the of the thing at the Europa Hotel. <laughs> and as I say, it was just it was just it's something you couldn't actually you couldn't make it up. Know what I mean? You couldn't really make <laughs> it up. It just it was just the way it happened. It was. It's very Irish, I isn't think it? It's, it is very Irish, and then I think I think they've used it on question of sport and stuff. What happened here? And like, what happened next? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's one of them things. It'll always be. So what happens next? He's standing there waiting for the anthem, and then what happens next? And this guy starts singing Danny Boy, and then it's like, wow. So no, that was a, the experience. As I say, I went to Seoul, and then I go to New, I go to New Zealand, and then that year actually, which is, I tr- I moved up from from flyweight to the bantamweight, and I remember the. Do you remember the World Cup? Do you remember the World Cup championships? Any of you guys know? Yeah, yeah. You went to that after the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, well, the World Cup was a. It was actually a tough competition. They had that four four different weight classes in three different countries. So yeah. I remember in ninety in nineteen ninety they had the four of the weight classes, flyweight, which I was supposed to be at, was in Dublin, and um, I couldn't make the weight anymore, so I moved up to to bantamweight. And then that the end of that year, nineteen ninety, the year I won the Commonwealth gold, the the World Cup, the four weight classes with bantamweight, another four were up, or the three. We're in Bombay, India. So I stepped from flyweight to bantamweight and went to Bombay, India for the World Cup for Ireland, and um, I ended up getting a bronze medal. Yeah. And it's our only it's our only medal ever from Ireland in the World Cup ever. And you have to, when you lose the semi-finals, you have to fight for the bronze. There's only one bronze. You can't fight. There's no two bronze. You have to fight for the bronze. Wait, so I actually fought. I actually fought four fights in a week for a bronze medal. Wow! And, and I lost to Todorov in a close fight in the semi-finals. He ran away from me in the last run. He was like five foot ten or something. Yeah. But I lost to Todorov, and and I say you had to. When I lost the the semi-finals, I had to fight the other losing semi-finalists for the bronze medal. And it was a it was a competition to put you in the. The rating, so I was rated number three in the world after that. And they actually, the only competition back then, that actually you got money, you got paid. <laughs> but keep that quiet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, the, the gold, the silver, and bronze, you get. I think the 
I think I got like fifteen hundred dollars of bronze medalist back then, which was really good. Yeah. I think they twenty five hundred for silver and like four or five grand for gold. So all the all the nations, Cuban, Russian, Germans were all there because they all loved the money and, and they all they all took part in that competition and, and say it was my it was actually my hardest competition, it really was. The World Cup was because I had to fight for, for bronze I had to fight for a bronze medal after I lost the semi final, which is weird. And as I say I I consider that I consider that win, let's say one of Ireland's greatest, because I never nobody ever won a medal there but me, and and nobody ever mentions it, nobody ever says anything about it. And I always say I won a World Cup bronze, and yeah. the medals were beautiful, big 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 medal, beautiful medal, but I say nobody ever says it about it because they don't do it anymore. But it was a great competition. How how did you kind of mentally pick yourself up then to to fight for that bronze? This is your first time fighting at a new weight division, and kind of you lose out in the semi-final mentally did, did, did you kind of question the, the move up in weight class rant like that or was it just get back in the ring and do what you do like no no i didn't really my first fight actually i go to i go to, Bom- I go to bombay india and, and my first fight what happens i drew i drew an indian fight of the home the hometown guy <laughs> that's <laughs> the luck of the irish <laughs> he was he was actually he was actually trained by a cuban coach so and we actually we fought outdoors in a cricket stadium and it was like 90 degrees, I'd say, with 100% humidity. And um, I fought him and I beat him. And then my second fight, I fought a, I think it was an, a North Korean or something or something like that. I beat him. Yeah, North Korean or South Korean, something like that. Got to get the Koreans right. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 beat, I beat him and I, I, fought, I fought three fights. Then I lost, I lost Tudor off. Then I fought a guy called Fred Mutawita, the, I, I, the one I beat in the Olympics. I beat him in the Olympics. I beat him in the World Cup, and then I beat him again in '92. My first fight in the Olympics in '92 was I was drew against a guy called Fred Mutawita again, who was it was my third time fighting him. <laughs> and we were actually we became, we became friends from the '88 Olympics. We were riding each other, and we became friends. And I fought him three times. So when I lost the semi-final to Todorov. I drew him again, and we knew each other, and we looked at each other as if to say, here we go, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? But I knew, because I beat him before, that he was going to come hungry the next time, so I actually, the second time I fought him, I beat him easier, and then the third time I fought him, I beat him easier again, because I stepped up the competition. And that's how I get myself motivated for the, after we losing, I knew I had a, a medal to get, so I went in there and um, and stepped it up again, and, and um, won the, the bronze medal for Ireland. Because it was a it was a qualifying tournament anyway. When you get back from the World Cup, then do you just concentrate on Barcelona and do you have two years be to prepare for the Olympics? Yeah, well, I say that from the when I won sorry when I won the Commonwealth gold, you know, it was the the Olympic Council they started paying me to stay amateur. Not 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 any money like they were getting today. It was like I was making a I was I could I could train full time and. Um, and focus on my boxing. You know what I mean, and be a full-time um, amateur fighter. Because after, like, after the Commonwealth gold medal, everybody knew then I was going pro. You know, I was I was going pro for sure. And then I just um, when they made me this offer, I was still 19. I was still trying to grow a hair on my chin, and I couldn't do it yet. But so, <laughs> and so I waited for another. I thought, well, that's a good. Yes, the offer's good. I can train full-time. I can spar with the pros, and and I. I did that. I took my time and sparred with the pros, and and um, 
became a full-time amateur and um on for the, the Olympics now to focus was on the the focus was getting the medal you know because I get the two medals that year 1990 and, and um, my my goal going to the Olympics my honest goal going to the Olympics in 92 was getting a bronze medal okay that was my goal to getting a bronze so it was my goal I knew I could get a bronze I knew I could get a bronze I knew that you exceeded your expectation and so you, you were delighted I did I did I did and but I, I'm always I'm always the type of guy People say to me, "Oh, I was. I remember when you won your Olympic silver medal and blah 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 and this that and that." I'm like, "But I lost." <laughs> I'm always <laughs> the type of guy who tries to strive to be better. You know what I mean? We're, but I understand when a medal of any color, you, you're going to like gold, silver, bron- gold. You win the competition. Silver, you lose. Bronze, you lose. But I always think, "Oh, I lost." But and I always say to myself, when I when I lost the semifinal or the, or the final Olympics. I said to myself, I'm going to be world champion. I really am because when I went to, to win, win, win that world championship, I said, I just missed the Olympics, but I'm going to become world champion. And then um, that's, how, that's how I got my mindset as a pro after the Olympics to, to go for a world championship and, and win it. Because I knew I'd either, I know I won the Olympic silver, but I still considered losing, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And then um, that my focus then was, I go to, Olymp- I go to, to win a world championship, I'm going to give one hundred percent, and nothing's going to stop me. That was that and was an, that was an unbelievable time, um, the Barcelona Olympic Games, because I remember just personally, I would have been about eight or nine years of age, and other than dear my, goodness gracious, yeah, <laughs> dear goodness gracious, but other than my father kind of showing me tapes of uh, Muhammad Ali, um. Your yourself and Michael Carruth's journey was my first kind of um attachment to, to boxing and it was just yeah it was just absolutely sensational. Um, it brought it brought the whole country together, like north, south, east, west. Could you feel yeah, that in just, Barcelona? Oh yeah, it was just you know, the, the, the media from around the world. Like I'm I'm me and Michael are sitting doing interviews when we get in the metal stages, we're doing interviews for NBC TV over here. So that's when we knew it hit the world. The world news. We're, we're being interviewed by NBC, which is probably the biggest news station in the world. Yeah, yeah. And we're thinking, well, this is bigger than we thought. It's like, you know, everybody, you know, it's like the whole team behind us. Like all the athletes, the whole team were behind us, even though they they they'd lost. Nobody else got medals. They were all behind us. They supported us. You know, we were the last two training for the the boxing team, and everybody was behind us, and. That was a good thing about it. Everybody, you know, the the support you had from from your your teammates as well, and 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 that's was one thing about the Irish people. They they support their own. You know what I mean? Mm. And um, alone, if they were at a competition, we just then they, they were behind us. And and everybody knows their our fans in Barcelona. I think we started up with a group of ten people on one side of the arena, and there was probably two people on the other side of the arena and three on the other side. Then they all started getting together, and then all of a sudden, we had the biggest support out of all the teams around the world, and they all sat in the one the one part in the Barcelona, and they just sang the whole way through. Even even my Olympic final, you know, I went out and won the last round off of Joel Casamayor, who went on to become a world professional champion. They were singing and singing to the end till that bell went, and I was chasing after Casamayor right till the end as well. <laughs> you know, so they, did it help you? Yeah, that it did because you know. I don't know how I get through the fight to tell the truth because the North Korean 
in the semi-final, I cracked my cheekbone in three places and busted a nerve. Oof. But I fought the final with it, and I couldn't even feel any any sensation in my my left side of my my nose down my cheek. And I'm actually touching right now, and I still have I still have pins and needles in it when I touch it. That's how bad it was. I had a nerve wow. busted, and, and my cheek cracked in three places. And the doctor, I remember the doctor said to me when I came back here, when I got the uh, a specialist, he said. How the hell did you get through that fight? Was, you know, I don't know how you did it. Because the nerve, the, the the broken bone was fine. But he says a nerve is like somebody pinching with electricity every time you get hit on it. Jesus. And if you can see that in the fight, I remember one time that Casimir hit me a straight, a straight right jab. He was at Southpaw. And I shook my head as if to say, what, what's going on here? And I'd never been hurt in the ring in my life. And and I say the Korean had, the Korean had did the damage Casimir finished it off, and and um, and the first two, the first round was even. I thought it was even. Nicholas even thought it was even, and then I went back to the corner, and you could see the scores. And I was six one down. And I'm thinking, what the hell happened? Yeah. But then the second round, he won it, and then the last round, I won the last round bigger than any round. But they only scored the last round six four for me, which was, I won the first, last round easier than he won the first round. But they still scored the computer scoring crazy. But I can't complain about it. You know, I close fight. I went on to I went on to meet Casimir here in Vegas. He lives here, and the respect we have as two Olympians. Even if he walked through my door right now, it would, it would, it would, it's on, it's it's not that often you get two guys in the Olympic finally actually going to meet each other in the future. Yeah, yeah. And we're we're actually I consider him a good friend. I've got his phone number. I've got his phone number on my phone. And um, every time we see each other, it's like wow, Olympics, wow. It's always <laughs> like that. It, that respect, the Olympics does that. It brings people together around the globe, and and I say, it brought Ireland together. Ireland was like, I think Ireland were, I think they stopped celebrating yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was a sensitive time, were, Wayne. So you know, it was a sensitive time just before, I suppose, the ceasefire and stuff the year after. So I mean, it was a catalyst of bringing the country together. Yeah, it was. It's, it was like, you know, as you said about peace and stuff like that. I'm I'm from the everybody knows where I'm from the Shankill Road. Yeah, yeah. And and I carried the Irish tricolor in '88 when the politics weren't there was no peace. But I, as I always said, I'm a sportsman and a politician. That's my my quote. But of course, you get people who try to dig up this and dig up that crap and try to try to they always try to bring politics into in the sport and boxing is one sport since I was a kid. You know, living in Belfast, we we always mingle together. Protestant Catholic always mingled together. My friends were all were mostly Catholic. We always mingled together, hung out together, but they always tried to make it as if it was you were killing each other. Yeah. But I think in '92 that brought everybody closer together, and then and I say the the future's been peace. The border's not there anymore. It's just like it's it's a different it's a different era. You know what I mean? It's like. I feel like I'm 90 years old. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- this probably won't help then with with the age. I'm going to jump forward a little bit to to 19. Wait, they get, wait, they get my walking stick here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to jump forward to 1998, and um, when you fought Nasim Hamid, um, <laughs> I I can remember that because it was one of the first boxing matches that my dad let me watch. I was only I yeah. had just turned eleven years old. Four o'clock in the morning. I think it's four o'clock yeah. in the morning. Yeah, well, I think it was in Atlantic City. I only watched it there recently, wow. and um, I know, I know ultimately it, it it was one that that didn't go in your favor. But you you brought Nasim Hamad to a decision, and uh, you know it's even at the end of it. 
but just the the, the the whole thing of like we're saying the support of Barcelona ninety two. If you watch that fight back, you can the Irish like people now talk about the Irish crowd traveling to see Conor McGregor. And if if you watch if you watch it back and turn down the sound and watch the fight without the commentators, you you see a different fight too. Believe me. <laughs> and the, and even no even even the, not just it, even the punch that thing the guys are the guys on punch that you yeah. know the guys have proved them wrong before. They make it look good because how many had signed an HBO contract right before it fought me? Yeah. So yeah. they invest in their fighters, so they make it look good for them. And yeah. um, the Irish, the Irish support of her was unbelievable. Michael Flatley came over, walk and he walked me to the ring. Yeah. You know, Michael, Mike is a good box fan. He walked me to the ring. I got, I was talking to Bono. He sent me a fax. He drew a picture and drew like a first one. And um, you know, Daniel Day Lewis, they all called me on the phone, and I was like, I'm thinking, what is this here? It's like. This is like huge, you know what I mean? And 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 the Irish in, in Atlantic City, how many had forgot one thing? He forgot where he was. He <laughs> <laughs> came, came to Atlantic City thinking he's going to get support, but he forgot the, about the Irish people in America and the ones he actually can take a short trip over to like New York and then be there. Yeah, it's a short trip for Irish people over, plus the ones who are living there. And and I had all the support on it. It was unbelievable. It's it's crazy, it just, yeah. And. I was like, I sent shivers down my spine. I really did. It was so, it was so electrifying and so, I think, and wow, this is unbelievable. And they were booing him. And the, I remember, yeah, remember the, I remember the Jim Lampy and all them guys commentating and saying, "Oh, there's a few boos for Hamid," <laughs> and most most of the cheers are for McCulloch, but they they couldn't even bring themselves to say, "This is all McCulloch's fans." Yeah, like you know, I, I remember meeting, meeting a bunch of English guy fans on this boardwalk, and they were getting a picture with me, and they're like, oh, "We're over to see you," and I'm like. Really? They actually came over to see me because they didn't really like how many. He was just, he mouthed off a lot and, they, and he didn't have the following people thought. He didn't have the following like Ricky Haddon did, you know what I mean? That's yeah, yeah. And I had the following Ricky Haddon had that night because it was all Irish people and English people and whatever support me, American, American Irish. And as you say, you were young back then. It was just, it was an unbelievable night. It really was. And, and Hamid, Hamid said what he was going to do to me before the fight. And I stepped up two divisions to fight him. And I, I just the only thing I said to Hamid was, "What happens when you hit me and I'm still standing? What are you going to do? You're going to run." And he did. He hit me a good shot, and then he ran for for the twelve rounds. But me and Hamid go back to '96 in Dublin when he fought Manuel Medina. Mm. He actually, I remember, he had a newspaper article saying before the fight that I was bantamweight champion, he was featherweight, and he said that I was. He said in the newspaper that my wife was scared of me fighting him. You don't say it to an Irishman. You don't say that. Definitely don't say that because I get on. I get on the. I jumped on a flight. Arrived at the Guinness factory for the weigh-in. Walked straight up to Hamed with his whole entourage. I was with my good friend Mick Devine, and um, I said, "I don't care what you say about me, but see when you, you bring my family into it, you've crossed the line." And his whole entourage was bouncing around. I'm like, I touched him. I touched him, and he said, "Don't touch me." And I'm like, "I'll knock you out." I said, "We're not in the ring here. I'll knock you out." And then my friend pulled me away, and then of course, I found out most of the posters in the city was all forget about McCulloch, come see the Prince. So he was actually using me to sell tickets as well. And then when I got to the arena that night, Frank Moore gave me a ticket at the very back of the arena. All the Irish fans started to see me. Sky see me. They brought me up to the front. I sat right beside his dad, and the arena that night sang my name the whole way through the fight. <laughs> and Hammy had had a terrible night that night. He, he won, but he was a terrible fight. Yeah. And he never came back to Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> did Brendan Ingle 
I'm not sure about that. But you know what? <laughs> how many had fought my how many had fought my undercard at the in the basketball arena in 1993? Wow. I fought I fought um Julian um, Belkeef at the basketball arena in September of '93. I think well, yeah, September '93. And how many was on my undercard? See, your wow. your memory's unbelievable, man. That's a trivia question. Yeah. <laughs> Just um, uh, going. Sorry, go on, Graham. Just going briefly back, uh, Wayne, um, after your kind of exploits in the Commonwealth Games and the Olympic Games, your heart was always wanting that kind of green and gold WBC title. Yeah. Did you ever think that in 1995 you were going to win it in Japan? No, I didn't. I thought, you know, when I turned pro, first of all, I thought when I turned pro, I was going to be back in Ireland. I really did. I thought it was going to be standing Belfast, you know, I trained in the the gyms over there barney's gym and stuff and and unfortunately we didn't we didn't stay there but i was a home bird to say and i didn't want to leave but as i said earlier on eddie fudge was two words i used to people today they always say why did you leave i'm like eddie fudge and then look at you like okay but <laughs> so it was it was times were different back then as well in a way it was different back then it was, it was I don't know. I knew it was going to be world champion. I definitely knew it was going to be the champion of the world. But going to Japan was like, I never thought, because I looked at the history of, of, of boxing, and an Irish fighter has never won a WBC belt, of course, but me. And um, no no fighter from the British Isles or Ireland has ever went to Japan and won a world championship successfully. Yeah. So I'm thinking, the odds are stacked against me. And then, but the training camp we had, but Eddie Fudge was, mastermind like we had we went to utah in the mountains somewhere up high altitude we started in vegas went to utah for a few weeks then we stopped off in waikiki actually believe it or not honolulu not a bad place to <laughs> and stop. my my sparring part my sparring partners were having a field day and i'm i'm, I'm just maintaining my weight and getting sparring and then we, we moved to japan about a week before the fight and they wanted me to spar in japan which is weird for like a press coming like okay so they put this japanese guy in who was trying to take my head off and I think I dropped them. I dropped them with a left hook to body, and they got to see what I was like over there. Or, but I knew Yakushiji was making the fifth defense of his world championship in Nagoya, which was not just his home country; it was his home city. Yeah. He was a big star. He just beat Tachiyoshi that year, and I'm thinking, hmm. So we get two judges. We get two of them. Two judges were American. One was Korean. So we're thinking the Korean judge there's no chance he's going to give it to me unless I knock the guy out and pin him to the canvas. But we went out there, Eddie, Eddie was like, you know, the, you know the game plan, we're going to work that jab, we're going to slip, slip, jab, jab, jab the head, jab the body, move around. And I'm thinking, well, he never really told me till the day of the fight. I'm thinking, how do I jab a guy who's, who's five foot nine, he stands up straight, he has a good jab. How do I, how do, I do that? But when I'm out there and I practice so much in the gym, when I jab at different angles, it means when he's through a straight jab, I could slip to the side. Slip the right, slip the left, and catch him with a jab. And I'm working. I was working. And I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is during the final. I'm thinking, this is working. This is working good. And then after about eight or nine rounds, I'm thinking, this is too easy. And I heard him a few times. I had him body shots a few times. Heard him. I'm thinking, this is. It's almost like too comfortable. It can't be too. But I knew he's going to come strong the last two rounds, which he did. He came strong and close rounds. And but I knew when the bell went, I I'd won it. I knew there's no way. They could take it away from me. I'd won. It was a tough fight, but I'd won eight rounds out of twelve at least. Yeah. And and there's no way they could take it away from me. But I say the 
split decision. I'm thinking, oh, no way. No way. But the Korean judge gave it to him by one point, believe it or not, one point. And then the other two judges gave it to me by four and five points or something. So I'd once, I didn't even know. They, they don't say in the new or whatever because you can't hear, understand what they're saying. All they heard was, oh, la, la, Macaulay-san. <laughs> and that was it. I was champ of the world. And then the whole, you know, they become the first Irish fighter that won the Louis Z belt and still the only Irish fighter. Yeah. But they become the only fighter from Britain or Ireland, you know, to to still be the only one to do that. That's that's bigger than winning 20 world championships. I think it's just like, it's, it just shows you how tough it is to go there and, and, I always did stuff the hard way anyway, so it was no different for me. And I, I, I consider that my greatest achievement ever. I say even the Olympic medal was great, but this was the bigger, bigger, better. And if it's a big, if it's a bigger thing than anything in Britain and Ireland ever, so that's 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 why I considered the best win ever for me. And that that's why when when we use the word legend, legend it, it's exactly. it's fitting, yeah. That's that's for the legend. That's for you guys are making up now. You're trying to make me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you've mentioned no, but I think uh, Yakashiji never. He was 26 years old then, and, and we would have given him a rematch, but he never fought again. That was weird. He never fought again. Yeah. He became a big star over there, of course, and um, he still is a big star. And then they and they looked after him, and he's, you know, it it was the fifth defense of the championship, and he lost to me, and then that was that was the end of his career. And I think the likes of him, like he should have been in the he should have been in the Hall of Fame ten years ago, but he hasn't been, which is weird. Yeah. And um, it's, the Hall of Fame is is a weird place to be in Canastota, but it's like politics and stuff like that. But um, let's say it, I would have definitely given him a rematch, and um, I had no problem about doing it. You've mentioned the the great Eddie Foch a couple of times, and being the, the key reason that you went over there. Um, what what was he like? As a man, just I mean, obviously he, he's a legend. He trained four to five guys to beat Ali uh, and everything yep. else. Like, but what was he like just as a man to work with on a day to day basis? But he said he beat he fought three to four guys to beat Ali, and the game plan he had for them to beat him was just small, small things. And with Eddie, Eddie was Eddie retired in like eighty when he was about eighty seven years old. He he said eighty two when he came here. He was eighty eighty four when we when we. 85 when we were defend my belt in Belfast, Dublin, my my two defenses, and then um, he was he was still moving, he was still a fit guy, he was trained every day, but he just sort of he couldn't really do anything anymore, and, and he he lived he was 90 years old of course, but um as a person as a trainer as a trainer he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant what he could do and what way he could dissect things, and he taught me how to do that. And then the only fighter he ever gave a letter to, signed by him, he gave me a letter to be a trainer someday, like signed letter by him, and a, go- a 1938 Golden Gloves pin he gave me as well before he passed away. Wow. But wow. as a person, as a person, the guy was, he was a great trainer. He was, he was, he was gold. When it came to a person, he was so, he was gold. He, he was tough in what he, what he did as a trainer. He was, and you always thought, look, oh, he's too tough and he's this. He did it for a reason because he was he he he, he did a, an interview one time when I was when I won my NABF belt my North American Championship '94 on USA Channel. They I didn't know they did an interview with him and they, they interviewed him about fighters and what relationship he has and he said he said um well the first thing he wants to do with his fighters is become the fighter's friend 
because if, I, if I'm if I'm the father's friend, I'm gonna do the best thing for my friend, which is like that's like true. If you're a real friend of somebody, you do the best thing for your friend, no matter what. If he gets locked up in prison, you're going to be sitting beside him. And Eddie, Eddie was like that, and Eddie was that type of person. And then when when I when my friend Stephen Watson from from BBC in Belfast did a documentary called Rocket, and um, they interviewed Eddie. I didn't know he I didn't know until the, the documentary had been released. They interviewed Eddie and they and they asked him about. Where did he rate Wayne McCulloch amongst all his 20 world champions? And he listed Norton, you know, Riddick Bowe, Joe Frazier, all, like Leon Spink, all them guys. And he rated me up with the top five. And I'm thinking, wow. I was gobsmacked when he said that. Because once you say that from the horse's mouth, he means it. And you can't take that away. And, and he considered me in the top five of the 20 world champions. I'm like, wow. And that was like prior. And as I say, I was friends with Eddie. I was friends with Eddie. He lived around the corner from me here, up until he was nine, till he passed away at ninety. When any any Irish teams come over here, I would bring him up to, like, talk to them and and show him a few moves. And he was friends. I say he loved my daughter. She was only a kid back then, and he, he used to love my daughter visiting him. And and I I miss him, but he he was he had a long life. Yeah. Twenty world champions, dozens and dozens of contenders who today would be world champions. Yeah. Believe me, he, he trained guys from the 1930s. He sparred with Joe Lewis in the 1930s. He's, wow. he's my size, but he sparred with Joe Lewis for speed, for Joe. And um, the stories he told me, when you went away to fight, you sit there for three or four days. You're eating dinner together, lunch together, breakfast together. And he would sit there for like two or three hours talking about you know how, how he got started. And it's almost the same way what I was talking to you at the start. Nobody came to him at the start. Nobody would come to him. And then all of a sudden he had a successful one, and then boom, they started coming to him. And it's almost like my life, my training career is doing the same thing as well. Yeah. It's like people want to see success first, but sometimes you, you had to come to the gym and see the success. But you, if you can train, if you can change something in a, in a, a few months, like make, give him a few moves to make and make them better, then they can see that. But with Eddie, he talked about that back then, and there was you know, TVs, never mind social media. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Eddie was that type of guy. He was just as a as a trainer, brilliant, but as a person, he was he was just. I miss him. I do miss him. I still I still talk about him all the time. He was a, he's the reason why I came to America, and he's the reason why I became champion of the world. Yeah, in- incredible. Um, and and you can you can sense kind of the the, the love you had for the man, and uh, through through you talking about him. Um, you mentioned there as well, kind of the contenders that he trained will be world champions today. Is that kind of a reflection of kind of where boxing is at in the modern era? Well, I think it's just I think the WBC are doing a good thing because the WBC are, you know, they're keeping that the one belt. I mean, there's so many different WBA have super champion, the regular champion, and interim champions. You don't even know who's a champion. You're you're champion in your weight class, but you're not the champion. There's somebody above you or somebody below you. It doesn't make any sense. No, when you're champion of the world, you're of that belt. You should be the only champion of that belt. So I think there's a lot of, like, I don't know, just weird. Because the WBC are doing good things because they are, they're doing pensions for, for their world champions. And they've started, they started like a year ago. They've given like, I think about 10 guys so far. And the more money they make, of course, they will, they said all the, the former world champions will end up getting some sort of pension, which is like priceless for 
some guys end up broken stuff. So it's good that they're doing that with their champion. Other the other organizations are not talking about anything like that. So so if the WBC are doing that, and they say they made me an, an ambassador for them for World Peace back in two thousand five. So I was became the first ambassador for sports and goodwill and whatever. So I'm I'm I will have that connection with WBC and um, it just the belts have been watered watered down if you know what I mean it's just been there's so many champions out there back when I came to America I could name every champion in each weight class I could I could name every single champion I couldn't today I really couldn't yeah after um, that um, kind of the ambassador for peace for the WBC in 2005 um, you then took up a role with the UFC as as kind of you were kind of promoting with them. I love the UFC. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I, I've known, no, I've known, I've known, I've known Dana White since he was actually at my, my, when I, I think my first defense of my belt when I won the world championship. He was at a friend's house before he was a UFC man. He was at, at a, a friend's house at a bar party, he, and I, I remember he was there, and I talked to him, met him a few times after that, and then. And then in 2006, actually at the Chocolate Dale or Tito Ortiz 2 fight, I was at the fight with my brother-in-law Ian and and, and Dana, was, I was like off just off the floor. He gave me tickets off the floor and, and then he, he, during that fight, he, in front of everybody, he walks up to me and he said, great to see you. We want you to be part of the UFC. I'm like, what? <laughs> I said, thanks for the tickets. Thanks for the tickets. No, we want you to be involved in the UFC. Back then in 2006, <laughs> the, US, the UFC was small. There wasn't that much media people. And he and he brought me on board and and I traveled the world. I was in I was in Dublin. I think it was two thousand ten for, for the fight. January two thousand nine when, uh, when you were on when, Joe Duffy. That was it. Yeah, I started. And what do you call him? Um, it was in Dublin. I was in Dublin. I was in England, Dublin. I was in Newcastle with him. I traveled the world with him. You know, the, I loved it. I loved the sport. I followed. I followed the Ultimate Fighter. The women. You know, um, the first Ultimate Fighter, and I loved it. And I do jujitsu; I love it. I could fight. I could. I know I could fight. I know how hard it is to fight in the UFC. I could definitely compete. I know I could. Easily. Amazing. I've, I've studied it for a long time, and I've studied how to, without even hitting a guy, I can lock him up and choke him, or, or break his arm, or twist his light ankle, or do something like that. It's not that easy to walk into do the UFC and think, oh, I can do that. A boxer's good at doing that. No, a boxer stands totally different. Totally different. Yeah. yeah, you gotta be. You have to adjust your stance. You gotta be ready for the takedown. You gotta be ready for the lockups. You gotta know how to get yourself out of a lockup, and I can do all that. So maybe Demetrius Johnson will give me a crack. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne, talk, the difference talk. is with Demetrius Johnson. He's brilliant. I respect him. I think he's great. But as I say, um, would I fight him? Of course, I would definitely. So, well, he's, Connor he's, and, and Floyd Mayweather and I, Connor can get a crack at Floyd Mayweather. Why can't I get a crack at Demetrius Johnson? Well, well, Johnson's cleared out his division, so I mean, you might be all that's left for well, him to well, take on. To be, we, are we, I'm actually bigger than him, believe it or not. He's five foot three or something, five foot six. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that'd be, I'm, I'm actually taller than him, and um, that'd be funny. But but I don't, I don't disrespect people. I don't anybody. I respect what they do, and I love it. I love the sport, of course. But I, but Dana, Dana's my good friend, and. Uh, and I respect both sports. They're different people. They're different sports. That's a problem. They're different sports. Yeah. And and then people say this and that. Oh, I can do this and do this. It's not easy for a, it's not easy for a UFC fighter to walk over to the boxing. It's not easy for a boxer to walk over to the UFC unless they 
they know what they're doing. I know Connor was an amateur boxer. I know that. Nobody knows that, but I I know that because I met him once and I told him that. <laughs> and um, but I would love, I would really love. I've said it before. I know all the other fighters are coming out and saying it. I've said it a year ago when I was in California. Connor lives around the corner from me. I'm Marina Del Rey. He's in in Venice. I said I've tweeted to him. Come and I'll teach you real professional boxing. Get you ready for real professional boxing. I know the guy that he sparred with in California. Yeah. Um, the guy, South African guy. I know him. And I can make Connor way better than him. I can make Connor into a, a pure professional boxer. I know I can. So if Connor definitely, I can do that. If Connor does, if Connor does for Floyd, then he could potentially be coached by the Pocket Rocket. Yes, I would love to do it. I'm not for, I can teach, I can teach Conor, I've sparred with Floyd Mayweather. I know Floyd Mayweather. I've known Floyd Mayweather since 96 since he came here. I've been, we trained in the same gym together, Tacos Gym and stuff. I've sparred with Floyd. He knows me. We, we, Floyd knows me. And I think if Conor trained with me, Floyd knows what way Wayne McCulloch was. Floyd has said, that he said before out of his own lips that Wayne McCulloch's the toughest Irish fighter he's ever seen. So he knows how tough I'll, I'll train Conor. And what type of conditioning he's going to give in? Because I was always known as the fittest Irish guy ever on the Irish team. So kind of be ready 100%. But I'll make him. I know a way to. I don't know a way to beat Floyd. I know a way to try to beat Floyd. Try to beat Floyd. Because if I say I'm going to teach him how to beat Floyd, nobody knows how to beat Floyd. But I've sparred him. I know a way to do things to him. The way Eddie told me to do against him. Well, Eddie. Eddie. When I trained. When I fought Hamid. Eddie Fudge actually gave the game plan. Still, Louis was in my corner. He gave the game plan for that fight. So that's what I'll teach him. Stuff that Eddie taught me, and I can make Connor. If a fight, if a fight does happen, which I don't think it will, I can make Connor ready. I know I can. I know he's got. I know he's got a, a striking coach. I don't want to be a striking coach. I want to be his boxing coach. How long would it take him to get him ready? When? Three months. I think three months. He can get ready for three months. Wow. Wow. I think he. Because he's he's did a bit of boxing before. There's a bit of fine tuning, just need, and nothing going to be changing. And they're going to change small. You don't change a fighter; you, you make him better. And there's small things against Floyd you can do. I'm not going to say I can do them because people say, "How does he know that?" Yeah. There's certain things that I was taught by Eddie what I can do against Floyd, and I can teach kind of that. Love it. But it's up to him to say it's not. It's another Irish man who lived around a corner from me. He wouldn't come to me. Didn't respond to me. I want to help. I want to help you. I said, come, come in the gym. I was actually going to. I said, come to my gym, which is on on Wiltshire Boulevard, just in Santa Monica. I said, come and I'll spar with you. Come and I'll spar. I'll spar with you. I'll as well. I'm. I'm. I'll spar with my still spar people. No problems at all. I'll just give them a little taste of real professional elite level boxing. If you know what I mean. There's different levels of all sports, and when professional boxing, when you get to the, that top level, it's it's different. Believe me. I've been in there with the best, and it's, it's different. And I can teach Connor that, but I say I would love to work with him. And I know a lot of guys in the last few weeks come out and say they want to train him too. I've, I've did it over a year ago. It's been over a year. He's, and when I found out he was in Venice, I just don't throw away from me. I said, come on, I'll, I'll help you. I know I can make it better, but he didn't come. But you were at his fight against Dustin Poirier. What's that? You were at you you met up with Connor at, at his fight with Dustin Poirier, wasn't it? Yep, I was up there. Then I, I was brought me backstage and or back back backstage, and I, I met up with him to say hello. And I just the first thing I said to him was, 
I know you were a national amateur champion when he was a like, youth or something. And he just looked at me and winked at me. Because <laughs> nobody else knows that. They don't think he, don't know he was a boxer, but I said, yeah. And um, it was a quick night that night for him that night. And, yeah. and that was really the only the only like meeting up we had. I was there in the front row supporting him. It was a great night and quick fight. And Irish fans was brilliant. And Tom, Tom Egan, Tom Egan, that's who, Tom Egan fought in Dublin in 2010, I think it was. Uh, yeah, John, that's where you fought. And yeah. I walked. I actually walked him. I walked Tom to the to the the octagon that night. And Tom's my good friend. He's, he's of course he lives in the East Coast now. But I was. I'm trying to I forget the, who it was fighting that night. Uh, John Hathaway, English fighter. He fought John. Hathaway. Yeah, it was a tough fight. First fight for both guys. It was tough, but but um, Tom's a good guy. Yeah, fortunate. But the, that night, I remember Tom fighting. And it was like I thought it. You thought he was fighting for the championship of the world. <laughs> the atmosphere was unbelievable. It was like sold out, packed, singing. It was just, it just goes to show up the, first, the UFC for the first time and, and the response they got for the UFC, you know, which is brilliant. It's just how, how much the sport has evolved and, and get, get world recognition. It was, and, it was brilliant, Wayne, but t- tell us about... Tell us about your experience um, on the Joe Duffy radio show where you you were in the hotel. Get I be- ambushed? Uh, yeah, I believe you were in the hotel listening with Dana. Was that correct? And then you, you, you no, went the, the, you went. It was weird. What was that show called? The Joe Duffy show. Yeah, when they they sort of ambushed me from every angle. Yeah, yeah. Lo- the one? Live Lion. Yeah. Live Lion. Yeah, they, they, I remember Marshall. Marshall was the president of the UFC in Britain. American guy, but he... Um, and then they all they had nobody to go on the show to back them up because it was anti boxing people coming on there. And or anti sorry, anti USC people, anti USC people and um and they said to me, Marshall said to me, Would you go on the show? I'm like, Yeah, no problem, no problem. So I go on the show and I was actually I couldn't believe it because one of what do you call the guy that he's got his own clothing store, what do you call him? Former amateur boxer. Mick McDowling, is it? Like yeah, they, they come on and started to disrespect me. I'm thinking, I'm working for a company that I love. And I kept saying to people, they're two different sports. Boxing is two different sports from or from MMA and boxing, two different sports. Why can't you support both? Because kickboxing's been there for years, years upon years, kickboxing. But nobody thought that was a threat. All of a sudden, something like UFC gets publicity and it's a threat. It's not a threat because they're different sports, but all of a sudden these people come on and they started to ambush me from every angle. And can't, I can't believe you're involved in that sport. And I'm like, I'm, it was really, it was insulting for them people to do that. It really was because it it brought the Dublin, like Dublin was booming when the USC went there. Booming. It was like unbelievable. They couldn't wait for it to come over there. Yeah. And, and then these people are small-minded people. I come on there and and and, uh, and try to me really. I just I thought that was it, it was Mick Do- the, the disrespect, disrespectful. Mick, I mean, Mick Dowling said he was very disappointed with you at the time. What does that mean? I, I don't know. Like, I rem- it's laughable, what is, is what it is. Like, I'm trying to figure what I know Mick. I know him really well, and I I consider him a good guy. I've met him. I know the guy. But for him to say he's disappointed, that's like your father saying to you, "I'm disappointed in you, child." <laughs> No, I mean, what, what? What's disappointing about a, a sold-out arena in minutes 
in the centre of Dublin. What what what's what's disappointing about that? I don't know. He was going he was going on as if um, when you were the pride of the nation in '92, you won the silver medal, and now I'm oh, just, so I'm now I'm just very disappointed you've picked this. So the whole of, so the whole of Ireland, the whole of Ireland, North and South don't don't respect what I did in box anymore because <laughs> I I love the UFC. That's what yeah. I took from it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I took the same thing, but I just I just thought. I just let rubbed it off as if you know what, you give your opinion, you're on the radio being heard, and look how big the UFC's become since then. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I no, think for him to say that, it's like almost like, is he gonna, like, is Mick gonna still say that? He probably, but maybe he will still say that. Maybe he doesn't. If certain people don't like it, if certain people don't like the aspect, you know, the elbows to the head and knees to the head, and you can hold the guy and hit him, but. If I could hold Hamid and hit him, it would have been good. <laughs> <laughs> the fight would have been over in two rounds. Choke him out. <laughs> I would have choked him out. Hit him with the elbows, sharp elbows, and the knee to the head, and then the fight would have been over. I'd have stood in his toes. He couldn't have ran anywhere. <laughs> Take the legs of him. You know what I mean? So, Brilliant. No, I just think people like that, like making all that, I just think, you know, I remember Michael Carruth tried to get on the radio. They wouldn't let him on. Michael Carruth. Tried to get on the radio to back me up, and he called me after. He said, "They wouldn't let me on. They wouldn't let me on." I'm like, or I said, "Michael, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Small-minded people. Yeah, you know, they're going to eat their words now today, really, because it's just look at Connor. You know what I mean? It's like, how can they say that? And then look how far it's, it's came. It's actually became bigger than boxing over there. Really, it has. Mm. Do you think it, you know it has been being bigger than boxing? Kind of. It's yeah, it, it has because boxing right now doesn't with Kitty Taylor and all. Kitty's going to get that recognition. She's right there, and and she'll get the support. But I think most people are supporting both now. You know what I mean? They love they love the UFC, love boxing, and it's a fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. People love fights. If there's a fight at the corner, you're going to go and watch it. <laughs> people love that. Um, so I think I think I just think because the UFC, the UFC pump money into their industry. Is just if this if you've seen they sold it for four and a half billion. So it just goes to show how much money they, they put in the advertising. You, you have big billboards of Conor McGregor everywhere when he's fighting. He could be fighting in one side of the world and have a – and Santa Monica had a big billboard of, of Conor McGregor. You know what I mean? So that's the type of money they're willing to spend. And boxing doesn't really do that. If you go to a fight, a boxing fight, the, at a weigh-in especially, the, the weigh-in, the main event, the undercard, they forget about them. You know, at least the UFC have always weighed in from the first fight to the main event, and they all get recognition. And I think that's why all UFC fighters get fans, because everybody knows who's fighting on the card, from the 11th fight down the card to the first fight, and they get televised on either on the UFC website or on, on the Fox Sports before they go to pay-per-view. So they, they're all getting the, the attention and, and boxing you know, have 10 fights in the card, you might see two or three on TV and that's it. And the rest of the card is forgotten about. So that's what Dana always said. Dana and Lorenzo Fertitta always said they want to do what boxing did wrong and, and, and do the right thing in the USA. And they did that. And they made it into a, a billion-dollar industry and, and, um, and sold it and made a fortune. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Wayne, we're, we're, we're out of time. We've ran over. We've kept you a lot longer than we said we would. I so talk too much. My wife said I talk too much. That's a problem. <laughs> We She's could, a weird chap and she left me here. <laughs> we we could listen to you all day. That's the problem as well, though. But, um, I but look, but before we let you go, um, your website, WayneMcCullough.com, and on Twitter, you're at Wayne McCullough. Yeah. 
brilliant. You love talking to the fans Twitter, on Twitter, don't Twitter, you? Twitter, Twitter's getting Instagram taking over from Twitter now, isn't it? Really? But you love talking Twitter. to the fans on Twitter, don't you? Win. I just people, yeah. You always, uh, the fans are always brilliant, and then you always get one person out of that million who likes to say something dumb, and then all of a sudden, all the people who are supporting you attack them, which is the best thing ever. <laughs> 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 you 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 don't need to. I don't need to attack anybody anymore. People around people do that for you. <laughs> the bully, the bully gets squashed by other people, and, and there's always cyber bullies and stuff like that. Somebody always has to say something. Oh, I don't agree with that. And then somebody squashes them, which is a, that's why social media is so good in the day. Where, where there are people who are your fans or your friends, and then they somebody comes on and tries to be an idiot, then they get squashed, they get embarrassed. You know what I mean? So that's Love it. what's it going to be like another ten years, dear hell? Oh God, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> my my daughter is eighteen, you know, and she ta- I think when she was about ten, she taught me how to. The text people <laughs> <laughs> just said to me. No, I remember saying one day, said, "Daddy, you don't call people. It's cool to be. You have to text people. It's cool to text." I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> so, so I did what I was told. Now she's 18, and she's like, "She's a woman now, so she's telling me what to do." <laughs> uh, Wayne, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks very much again for your time. Um, you have a have a good have a good Christmas and and a good New Year and. Um, don't drink too much. Yeah, well, I, c- to. I can't promise anything there. But look, Merry Christmas well, to, to you and yours. I haven't drank in 20 years, believe it or not. Have you not? Really? Well, just, I didn't really drink that much, but I just... When I travelled around the world with me and Paul Griffin and stuff, we always had a good time. But apart from that, I just sort of... I just didn't... I drank twice a year, then I just sort of didn't drink. It just, not that I don't need to drink, I just... I just I'm not an alcoholic or anything, but I just didn't... <laughs> I, just, I just didn't... I just didn't do it. You know what I mean? Just... Well, when you're out know. when you're out running six miles and that, I suppose drink wouldn't help with that at all. So <laughs> I'm going to do another four today. I'm going to run another four too. So well, join me next time. It's, it's if you ever come over here, I do at the weekend. I do a ten mile run. You can do that with. But you do well to get me out of my bed, Wayne. I'm in better shape now. I'm better shape now than I was. I'm actually lighter now than I was when I was trying to make weight for as a bantamweight. Oh, you're making me I'm feel bad about myself anyway. I, no, I, no, I'd say most 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 um, former. Fighters end up when they stop they they stop training and stop working on because like I sacrificed my whole life, but everybody knows me. Even Nicholas talks about the way I train. I, I'm I've always been the type of guy who always did the extra mile, ran, trained harder. I'll always be an athlete, and I'll always I'll do a bit of running or, or boxing. Still spar, as I say, still spar people. And when I go to the, when I'm at the gym, some days I'm I train probably and one day I can train up to ten people for our sessions, holding the mitts for probably thirty minutes of them sessions. And it doesn't bother me. I love it. I love it. I really do. Amazing. I'm teaching. So I'll let you guys go. Have a good Christmas and, and a good New Year. And um, maybe I'll, maybe Demetrius Jensen will give me a fight next year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. We'll, that's, we'll, that's what we put out on Twitter. Wayne we'll, McCullough well, that's, challenges you're, you're Demetrius get Johnson. Social media would have grabbed that. By the, <laughs> yeah. Wayne, thanks so much things. for your time. It's amazing how things spread around the world so quickly, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Wayne, listen, all the best for Christmas and all the best for 2017. And thanks again. Really appreciate you coming Thank on. Thank you, guys. All the best. Thanks. All the best. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. 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 Loved that. Loved it. Loved it. Um, yeah, like... Loves a chat. He loves a chat. Like, because we originally said to him, look, 30, 40 minutes. But I mean, sure, look, well, you have to listen to the full hour and a bit of it. So. When we do Skype interviews, we have the headphones on. Well, you always have the headphones on. But, mm. like, we were asking him questions. And I was just sitting back and listening to the listening to the answer. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, and incredible. It, was, it was great. He was a great talker. It, it, like, amazing. And he, 
like the information he recalls there was a couple of times where he was saying stuff and i was trying to jump in with a new question but then he just kept talking and the question i wanted to ask just went out and yeah. a new question came along because he gave us new information and just similar to our tangents but not such information <laughs> yeah no he was he was absolutely brilliant to talk to i hope everybody listening enjoyed it half as much as i did recording it and he'll have connor ready in three months for connor ready in three months for floyd mayweather such is his belief that's the tagline that's everyone that's what everyone yeah. should tweet uh, and 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 the fact that he's going to be the UFC flyweight champion oh yeah he's called out Demetrius Johnson calling out Mighty Mouse 46 year old Wayne McCullough has called out Demetrius Johnson he does jiu jitsu training reckons it'll choke him out unbelievable legend or, or it'll catch him at one of them sweet sweet digs he yeah. throws uh, he's a legend I love that interview <clears throat> we hope you did too um, but as I said, it is 5 to 11. <laughs> yeah, we need to go to <laughs> on, bed. On Wednesday, December 24th. Neither of us had our dinner. We've been recording for about four hours straight trying to get Christmas <laughs> stuff done. We're technically on holidays for a few weeks, but you don't know that because we queued up the episodes because we're sound like that. Yeah, we're good. We're great guys. Now we have a break. Danny, yeah. I'll see you in two or three weeks. See you in about three weeks, kid. Yeah? Love you. Um, but until then, at WTSPod on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash WTSPod Ireland iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Republic, Podcast Addict, anywhere and everywhere podcast, WTS Pod. I'm at Dan Joe Murray. I'm at Mary Gamania. Thanks very much for listening, lads. Too sweet. Here it is. Full hearts. Can't lose.